Well, this is our 21st message in our series on this incredible book of Daniel. We have finally reached chapter 10 today, but I want to introduce our text with a New Testament passage, uh, Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians 6 is a classic passage regarding our war with the spiritual forces of hell. The Apostle Paul challenges us to put on God's armor so we can withstand Satan's schemes. It's a familiar passage to those who have been reading and studying God's Word for a while. We are not going to develop every thought or concept in this landmark scripture. But there is a reference to something that is relevant to our study in Daniel that we want to examine. Uh, A number of weeks ago, uh, someone knocked very loudly on our front door in the middle of the afternoon. I knew it must be a stranger because most everyone who's been to our house knows which door we use 99% of the time, and, and it isn't that one. Uh, so I, but I, I went to the door, there was, there was a fellow standing there who was uh, very distraught. He was so upset, he was almost shaking. He believed he was being attacked by spirits. Uh, he said he could hear them in his car. He and his wife could hear them in their house at night. They were terrified. They couldn't sleep. They didn't know what to do. Uh, he had a statue of the Virgin Mary in his car. He had a crucifix on his dashboard. He had a braid of sweet grass lying on the seat. He'd been reciting his memorized prayers. He had smudged his house repeatedly. He was trying everything to get relief. And uh, so I, I guess he thought he'd try me too. We talked and I quoted some scripture to him. I prayed for him. I got the feeling after a while that he was possibly under the influence of some sort of drug. Uh, But we talked, and I prayed, and he left. And as he was driving down the driveway, and I went back in the house there, I I was quite burdened, and continue to be burdened, for, for people who are so completely overwhelmed by fear that they don't know what to do. They are in bondage to the spirit world and all of its evil. And the Apostle John, speaking about the spirit of the Antichrist, which he said was already operating in this world. The Apostle John wrote in 1 John 4, 4, he said, You are of God, little children, and you have overcome them, meaning the spirits of Antichrists, because he says, Greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. Famous phrase we often quote from 1 John 4, 4. Greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. And as my visitor drove away, I thought, If only folks could taste the freedom from fear that's in the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, Ephesians chapter 10, or sorry, chapter 6, rather, verse 10 is where we're going to begin to read. Ephesians 6 and verse 10, just going to read three verses. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand. Note in this passage that we are to be strong in the Lord and in His power and put on His armor. This is not a challenge for us to cowboy up and get tough and grit your teeth and fight the devil. 
an old-time preacher from over 100 years ago, Billy Sunday, uh, was uh, quite flamboyant and colorful as he preached. I remember reading one of his sermons many years ago in which he said uh, as he, was, uh, he, uh, he could really get the crowd fired up to battle against evil. And uh, he said this, he said, as long as I've got a fist, I'll hit the devil. As long as I've got a foot, I'll kick the devil. As long as I've got teeth, I'll bite the devil. And when I'm old and toothless, I'll gum him till I die. Well, that makes exciting and entertaining preaching. But that's not really Paul's challenge here in this text. The apostle says, be strong in the Lord and in his power and put on his armor. So, so the focus is not on how tough I can be. The focus is on how I can access the power of God. And, and, I, and I do that by putting on his armor and relying on his strength. So yes, we must be determined. We must be focused on obeying the Lord and submitting to him and denying to self. But my, but my victory is not based on my personal willpower. It is based on how I use the Word of God and how I apply the Word of God, which we would see if we proceeded on through the text. But I want to focus our thoughts uh, as we introduce into Daniel here on, on verse 12. Look at verse 12 again. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Paul said, reminds us again, he says, we are not in a war with human beings. The very important truth for us. People are not the real enemy. Now, Satan and, his, Satan and his demons are the enemy. They may use people, and they do undoubtedly, but don't get distracted by battling people or looking at the focus of, of, as though this person, I, I have this battle with this person. Satan and demons are the real enemy. He said, we are not wrestling against flesh and blood. And he uses that fascinating metaphor, we are wrestling. That is hand to hand. You press here, you pull there, you fake your opponent, you deceive, you trick. You see, wrestling is a battle for control. Using your opponent's strengths against them. Gaining control over your opponent so you can dominate them. See, the, the, the forces of hell, Paul says, they want to get you in a hold that you can't get out of. They want to get you in a grip that you can't break free from. That's what wrestling is. To get your opponent in a hold that they can't get out of and get them in a grip that they can't break free from so you can dominate them. So, so it's a very fascinating uh, metaphor that Paul uses in our spiritual battle. He said we are wrestling against flesh and blood. And that Satan and the forces of hell and his demons, they are doing whatever they can possibly do to get us in a grip that we can't break free from and to get us in some hold that we can't escape from. And Paul says it's not a physical battle. He said it is, it is, a, it is a, not a flesh and blood battle. The battle is in the mind. The battle is in our desires, in our wants, in our thoughts. The battle is in the inner man. And then Paul lists what I believe could be uh, possibly four categories of demonic powers. He talks about principalities, powers, rulers, and spiritual wickedness in heavenly places. If you were to look at those words and see what those Greek words are that are translated this way in our English Bible, you'd see that principalities 
uh, is a reference to a governor or a ruler, someone who has some region that they are ruling over. We use that term sometimes in, in formal legal terms, a certain principality. It, it, it's a city. It's a city government. Uh, and uh, yet Paul uses it as some sort of governor or some sort of ruler, and he uses it in a spiritual category uh, regarding these forces of hell. Then he talks about powers. The word there means authority. Someone who exercises authority. Someone who has jurisdiction. Or someone who has dominion over a particular area. And then he speaks about rulers of wickedness. Or rather, rulers of the darkness of this age. So rulers are those who administer or manage a kingdom. Rulers of darkness, he calls them. They have they are administering some, some oppressive dark something to try to uh, to try to hurt God's people and then he refers to spiritual wickedness in heavenly places uh, the word wickedness there means malice means there's evil vicious intentions and, and if you put all of this together all these thoughts about wrestling and these four different people well or these four different rather uh, categories of demonic powers I believe that Paul is saying that in the demonic world, it's not this chaotic, disorganized bedlam with a bunch of demons running around acting like little mischief makers trying to mess you up. That's the way we often picture d demons, as though they're just running around here and there trying to create mischief for everybody. Paul is saying, no, I, he's saying, no, the, the, the demonic world is organized and structured and they have a plan. They have a plan to destroy. There are assignments. There are job descriptions. There are strategies. There are ranks of authority among the demons. It's like the military. You have rank and order and structure and strategy and battle plans. that They know ultimately that they're going to lose, but they are going to destroy everything that they can destroy in the process. So then Paul starts verse 13 and he says, Therefore, because of that, Take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. So, so we can conclude from these verses and what we're going to read in Daniel 10 today, we can conclude that there, that there is good biblical reason for thinking that there are powerful evil spirits with special appointments from Satan over nations and kingdoms. When, when Satan tempted Jesus, you will remember, he took him up and he showed him all the kingdoms of the world, and he said, I'll give you all of this if you'll bow down and worship me. Of course, we know Satan kind of has an inflated notion of his power in, in relation to the sovereignty of God. But under God, it is true that the Bible calls Satan, for 2 Corinthians 4, 4, he calls him the God of this world. He gives his power to those who worship him, according to Revelation 13. He is, according to Mark chapter 3, verse 22, he is the prince or the ruler of demons. Second uh, Corinthians 4, 4 says he blinds the minds of unbelievers. He's the God of this world who blinds the minds of unbelievers. Revelation 12 it says that Satan deceives the whole world. Uh, and there are a couple of great parables in Matthew 13. One of them uh, indicates that Satan plants his weeds, uh, his, his seeds, you might say, uh, fake believers. He plants fake believers around among God's people. 
And then, and then, and then he, he steals the seed of the word when it's sown. That very clearly says in Matthew 13. Paul wrote in 2 Timothy 2.25, he said, Satan takes people captive to do his will. He said in 1 Thessalonians 2.18 that he tries to hinder missionary activity, the outreach of, of, of trying to reach people for Christ. And of course, since we know that Satan, the ruler of the demons, does all of those things, then we can conclude with good reason that this is what he assigns his demons to do as well. So now, if you will, look at Daniel chapter 10. I heard some of your pages already turning there. Let's read this very, very interesting chapter. It's a relatively short chapter. We're going to read, uh, read all of it with a bit of commentary along the way. Then we'll try and unpack the information that's given to us here. So in Daniel chapter 10, Daniel writes, In the third year of Cyrus, king of Persia, a message was revealed to Daniel, whose name was called Belteshazzar. The message was true, but the appointed time was long. And the Hebrew students say, actually, uh, maybe a clearer way to, to, uh, to, uh, to uh, translate that phrase, the appointed time was long, was that it was a long time with great conflict. And so there is a, a time of, uh, of uh, uh, you know, conflict, war, and tribulation. And so he says, this vision that I got, he said, it's true, but the appointed time or the way that it's laid out was a long time of conflict and war. And Daniel says he understood the message and had understanding of the vision. In those days, I, Daniel, was mourning three full weeks. I ate no pleasant food, no meat or wine came into my mouth, nor did I anoint myself at all till three whole weeks were fulfilled. Now, we don't know why Daniel was mourning. He doesn't say. Uh, there, are, there are some people theorize that he was concerned about the people returning to Israel, which was in the process of happening. But we don't know exactly what, what it was that drove Daniel to this time of, of mourning where he was fasting and praying and mourning before the Lord for, for, for three weeks. Then on verse 4, on the 24th day of the first month, it would be on our calendar, early April, I was by the side of the great river, that is, the Tigris. I lifted my eyes and looked, and behold, a certain man clothed in linen whose waist was girded with gold of Euphaz, which is a, an area where they mined gold. His body was like beryl, which is like a, a, a translucent sort of green, like an emerald uh, or a topaz. His face was like the appearance of lightning, his eyes like torches of fire, his arms and feet like burnished bronze, which would be uh, just this bright uh, uh, polished copper, you might say. And the sound of his words were like the voice of a multitude. His voice was like the roar of a crowd of people. It, it was so incredibly awesome that Daniel basically collapses as he hears this voice. Now, when we read that 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 uh, time, or that uh, his body was like beryl, his face like the appearance of lightning. You know, he was clothed in linen and his waist girded with 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 a gold belt. And when we read all those things, you say, "Wow, who was that?" Well. Um, Many Bible students, myself included, believe it was the what we call the pre-incarnate Christ. That is, Christ before He came to earth. God the Son, who did appear at various times in the Old Testament. This description is almost exactly like what the Apostle John saw in Revelation chapter 1. 
And in that passage, it very clearly indicates that it is the Lord Jesus Christ. So we are quite confident that this vision as well that Daniel has is God the Son appearing to Daniel as this brilliantly bright angelic being. Linen is the clothing of a priest. Beryl is this uh, clear green jewel-like topaz or emerald. He's got this face bright as lightning, his eyes like blazing fire, his arms and feet look like polished copper, his voice is like the roar of a crowd of people, and, and Daniel just, he sees this, and he just collapses. Verse 7 says, I, Daniel, alone saw the vision, for the men who were with me did not see the vision. But a great terror fell upon them, so that they fled to hide themselves. Therefore I was left alone when I saw this great vision, and no strength remained in me, for my vigor was turned to frailty in me, and I retained no strength. Yet I heard the sound of his words, and while I heard the sound of his words, I was in a deep sleep on my face, with my face to the ground. Doesn't mean he was sleeping, means he was just almost unconscious. Suddenly a hand touched me which made me tremble on my knees and on the palms of my hands. And he said to me, O Daniel, man greatly beloved, understand the words that I speak to you and stand upright, for I have now been sent to you. While he was speaking this word to me, I stood trembling. Then he said to me, Do not fear, Daniel, for from the first day that you set your heart to understand and to humble yourself before your God, your words were heard." And I have come because of your words. Never underestimate the power of prayer. But the prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me twenty-one days. And behold, Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me, for I had been left alone there with the kings of Persia. Now I have come to make you understand what will happen to your people in the latter days, for the vision refers to many days yet to come. When he had spoken such words to me, I turned my face toward the ground and became speechless. And suddenly one having the likeness of one of the sons of men touched my lips. Then I opened my mouth and spoke, saying to him who stood before me, My Lord, because of the vision, my sorrows have overwhelmed me, and I have retained no strength. For how can this servant of my Lord talk with you, my Lord? As for me, no strength remains in me now, nor is any breath left in me. Then again, the one having the likeness of a man touched me and strengthened me. And he said, O man, greatly beloved, fear not. Peace be to you. Be strong. Yes, be strong. So when he spoke to me, I was strengthened and said, Lord, or let my Lord speak, for you have strengthened me. And he said, do you know why I have come to you? And now I must return to fight with the prince of Persia. And when I have gone forth, indeed, the prince of Greece will come. But I will tell you what is noted in the scripture of truth. No one upholds me against these except Michael, your prince. What a remarkable insight into this angelic realm that we're given uh, in this passage. In verse 10, this hand uh, seems to me to be someone besides the pre-incarnate Christ. He calls Daniel greatly beloved, which is what the angel Gabriel called Daniel in chapter 9. He also says he was sent to Daniel to answer his prayers and was hindered by another angelic demonic being. So it's unlikely that it's God the Son, more likely that it's Gabriel again. But I I was so blessed by verse 12 when the scripture said, 
Do not fear, Daniel, for from the first day you set your heart to understand and to humble yourself before your God. Your words were heard, and I have come because of your words. God hears and answers prayer. And if you're wondering maybe why the answers haven't come, who knows what's going on in the spirit world around us. This this angel who came to Daniel with this message was restricted from getting to Daniel for 21 days because of another angelic being called the Prince of Persia who resisted him and blocked his way. Then it was only when Michael, one of the chief princes, he's named other places in the Bible as an archangel, when, the, when Michael arrives, this other angel was able to break free and get through to Daniel with the message. You know, I think we have no idea what's going on around us. <laughs> really. This, this, this prince of Persia, as he's called here, he is a demonic, angelic being who has been apparently assigned to the Persian Empire to influence it. It's, it's obviously a powerful angelic being because it could, it, it could prevent this other angelic messenger from God from getting through to Daniel. But notice Michael is called one of the chief princes. He's not, apparently not the only one, but he's of this higher order of angel. He has the authority and power to help this other angel break free from some of the demons and, and, and get to Daniel. And finally, with Michael's help, the angelic messenger from God can deliver what's going to be an amazing outline of future history and conflict. You know, the cool thing about it is, what we're going to read in chapter 11 and the first half of chapter 12, that's what these angels are fighting about. They didn't want Daniel to get that vision and write it down for us to read it and see it. And so there's this tremendous spiritual war going on between angelic beings that Daniel knows nothing about. He would have known nothing about it if the angel hadn't mentioned it to him. And, and apparently those demonic powers uh, the, uh, about Persia and Greece and the coming Antichrist and the persecution of Israel and, and all these things are in that, that, that vision. That's what these demonic powers are trying to keep Daniel from writing down. They didn't want us to know the outline of the future of Israel. But we have a very interesting situation portrayed here. It, it tells us a few things, but it also leaves us with some interesting questions. This is the passage of Scripture that leads some people to get totally obsessed with the concept of territorial spirits. Uh, obviously, there are demons assigned, according to this passage, to the kingdom of Persia and the coming kingdom of Greece, which isn't going to come along for a couple hundred years. So it, so it is reasonable to assume that there are powerful demonic forces who influence various governments of the world. Some people go so far as to say there are demons assigned to every town and street and household. But we've got to be very careful not to go beyond what the Scripture says. Some folks who think demons are assigned to every town and street and household, they also like to blame demons for all of our problems. I think they underestimate the sinfulness of the human heart. You know, none of us need demonic influence to sin. We do that real well all by ourselves. You know, the old, uh, the old comedian joke, you know, the devil made me do it. Well, probably he didn't. We're just a bunch of sinners who chase our own lustful desires and do our own thing. So, so none of us need demonic influence to sin. We can, we can do that real well all on our own. 
Demons may indeed influence government leaders. They're certainly responsible for encouraging wickedness of every type throughout our society and resisting the spread of the gospel and, and, and bringing trouble to God's people. But, but we don't need their help to sin. We do that quite well all by ourselves. And we can't blame demons for all of our problems. They are real, they are wicked, they are organized, they have strategies, they influence this ungodly world. But if you took all of the demons out of the world, it would not eliminate all sin. Because we're still sinners. And we'll sin without their help. So don't get all wrapped up in the territorial spirit concept. Are there demonic beings assigned to various nations and countries? Yeah, there, there probably are. Are they assigned to every household? Probably not. I don't think there's enough demons around to be assigned to every household. But there's certainly a lot of demonic influence in this world, no, no, no question about it. So, so take, take the supernatural world seriously. The spirit world is real. Angels are real. Demons are real. Don't get to thinking that demons are weak and you can order them around by claiming this or that in the name of Jesus. This angelic messenger, an angel from God, needed help from Michael the archangel to get past the demon of Persia. Demons are not weak. And you don't just order them around and tell them to do this and that and the other. You need to be controlled. We need to be controlled by the Holy Spirit and well armed with Scripture and biblical promises from the Lord. Don't be afraid, as Paul said, put on the whole armor of God and stand. Another thing to notice is that the Daniel was not praying about demons and, territory, and territorial spirits. He was wrestling for truth and for the good of God's people, the way we saw him praying back in chapter 9. He, he was, actually was completely shocked when angelic beings appeared to him. He knew nothing about the spiritual conflict going on around him if they hadn't told him about it. So, so don't get obsessed with what's going on in the spirit world trying to figure it out. Recognize it, take it seriously, but don't start thinking you're seeing a demon under every porch and behind every tree. That Daniel's praying was not about angels and demons, and ours should not be either. We should wrestle in prayer for the things that we know are God's will in our lives, in our families, in our churches, in our city, in our world. But we should leave it to God as to how he's going to use angels to get his work done. Our focus should be knowing God, being filled with the knowledge of the Word of God, and praying in submission to the Spirit of God. One of my first questions as I was studying this is, how do angels fight? <laughs> I don't know. It doesn't say. They are spirit beings. They don't have mortal bodies, so they can't kill each other. And the Bible doesn't reveal exactly how they do that, so we're left to wonder how they fight. Michael the archangel is mentioned five different times in Scripture, three times in Daniel, once in the book of Jude, and once in the book of Revelation. And every time Michael is mentioned, it's always in the context of conflict and battle. But we don't know how angels fight each other. But apparently they do. Because here he says... In verse 13, the prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me 21 days, and Michael, one of the chief priests, came to help me because I'd been, uh, I had been alone, uh, left alone there with the kings of Persia, so several demon forces. But then look at verse 20. He said, do you know why I've come to you? Now I must return to fight with the prince of Persia, and when I've gone forth, indeed, the prince of Greece will come. 
He said, Daniel, when I leave you, I'm going to go back and start fighting again. And I'm going to fight those demonic forces that are trying to influence the, the governments of the world. If we, if we could see the unseen world, we would be amazed at the forces of good and evil battling all around us. God has only given us a little sneak peek here in Daniel 10. No one would know simply by looking at the kingdom of Persia that there were powerful spiritual forces at work. But God pulled back the curtain for us for just a little glimpse. Satan often uses his demons to influence government leaders to turn against the people of God. It was certainly true in Persia. We'll see it in chapter 11. And it was true in Greece. Undoubtedly, it's true in Washington, D.C., and in Ottawa, Ontario, and in Moscow, Russia, and many, many, many places around the world. There is much more to this universe than meets the eye. But I was struck as I was looking at this again by, by the encouraging words of, of the angel in verse 18 and 19. Let's look at that again, if we would, please. Verse 18. Then again, the one having the likeness of a man touched me and strengthened me, and he said, what great words, O man, greatly beloved, fear not. Peace be to you. Be strong. Yes, be strong. Daniel was so exhausted from this experience, he said in verse 17, he could hardly breathe. He said, no strength remains in me, nor is any breath left in me. He was so, he was so wrung out, we would say in our modern expressions. He was so wrung out, he could hardly breathe. And the angel encourages him and strengthens him and lifts him up and says, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid, Daniel. You are loved by God. Be strong. Be strong. You can do this. We are here. We will help you. We won't take the time to turn there, but just a thought. You can, if you're writing notes, you'll want to mark this reference down. Hebrews chapter 1 and verse 14. In Hebrews chapter 1 and verse 14, the scripture says that angels are ministering spirits sent forth to minister to those who will inherit salvation. So it's a wonderful, really cool thought. Hebrews 1.14, angels are ministering spirits sent forth to minister to those who will inherit salvation. They minister to those who know the Lord, and they minister to those who will one day know the Lord. I've had several people tell me, you know, it's, it's just amazing that, that I didn't get killed years before I got saved. I mean, I, I, I could have gotten killed so many times, and I just, I mean, it's like, I just wondered, I even wondered what, what time, boy, God must be after me for something. I mean, I, I could have died right there. Well, Hebrews 1.14 says those angels are ministering spirits sent out by God to minister to we who know the Lord and to those who will one day know the Lord, to those who are going to inherit salvation. You don't need to see them. God says they're there. So, you feel under attack from the enemy? Never give up. You feel like quitting, throwing in the towel spiritually? Never give up. Are, are, are you fighting what seems like a losing battle? Never give up. Are you trying to be strong in the face of temptation? Never give up. Do, do you face a barrage of criticism for doing what you know is right? Never give up. You just get weary of the struggle? 
Fear not, he says. The angel says, be strong, be strong. So I encourage you, take courage, keep your eyes on the Lord Jesus Christ, feed on the Word of God, put on the armor of God, don't be afraid because you're not fighting alone. If you know Jesus Christ as your Savior, you have some angelic company, ministering spirits who are sent forth to help you. Stand your ground for Jesus Christ and never, never give up. Let's pray. Lord, this is such a fascinating passage of Scripture that you pulled back the curtains and you gave us a little sneak peek of some of the things that are going on in the, the spiritual realms all around us. We know we, we have ministering spirits, the angels of God, who are, who are helping us and are with us every step of the way. We also know there are demonic forces all around our world and our society that are doing everything they can to, to destroy so, Lord, I pray that you will help us to not be obsessed with all of these sorts of things in the spirit world. You haven't really shown us a lot that's going on there. Just a few glimpses here and there in the scripture. So we understand that if you really wanted us to know all the details, you would have revealed it to us in the scriptures. But what you have revealed to us, Lord, is enough for us to know that the angels of God and, and the demons of Satan are in mighty warfare all of the time over this world and over your people. And we thank you, Father, that we know how the war is going to turn out. We know what the end result is going to be. But Lord, we just ask you to encourage our hearts, help us to remember the words of the angel to Daniel. Be strong, be strong, fear not. Help us, Lord, as we stand firmly for you. To not be swayed, to not be frightened, to not be gripped by fear, but to stand for the Lord Jesus Christ. We pray in his name. Amen.